That was new. That was new. Yeah. I guess it's a disclaimer for all the uh, perverts out there. All right, Zoom. We got you. You're recording. We'll see if that shows up on the uh, recording. Hey, so in uh, my Orson Welles book, he's telling this story from back in his heyday. I had the 40s from the you know. And there's this theater critic named George John Nathan who uh, li- literally lived in a hotel, like the Royalton Hotel. Mm-hmm. Kind of nostalgic for back in the day, like you see these movies where like writers would just like literally rent a room just live there. So this theater critic lived there for like 10 years. And the guy was just a notorious cheapskate. Like wouldn't tip weight service or anything. He was really particular about his tea, always ordered tea. And after a couple of years, the wait staff got so sick of him, like not tipping them at all and just being rude. And they started, they, they peed in his tea. It started just a little bit, a little bit of urine. And he, he didn't notice. I think the saying, a little goes a long way, started with this story. Yeah. Well, and so the wait staff, he was still a cheapskate and he didn't really notice. And so they kind of made it a game like, how much the, the the ratio of urine to actual tea and Orson Welles is like yeah it got to be about half and half and then uh, the kicker is Orson Welles swears up and down he heard because he knew the theater critic and it, it, it was like Welles said it was a, like a, a joke like everybody else knew the story except the guy except John, John George and Nathan who you know was just drinking pee and nobody else knew it and, uh, <laughs> and so but Wells swears up and down he heard him say, uh, like, how come I, he was ordering tea at another restaurant? He was like, how come I can't get tea as good as the Royalton here? Ugh. And everybody cracked up because he's basically just, <laughs> he likes you know. the He likes the PT. Oh, mm-hmm. man. That's a, that's uh Don't, don't mess with your weight staff. Don't mess with your weight staff. What's your, what's your typical tip? Maybe 15 to 20. 15? Wow. That's low. I try. I start at 20. I start at 20. 15 to 20. Like, and I'll go up to 25. Sometimes 30. That's good. Virtue signaling. Yeah. It's a good tip. You're like, I start at two and then I get to three and then we'll see from there. Europe, they don't tip, really. Hmm? In Europe, they don't tip. Well, they, do they pay better wages there? Probably. I think Here, it's, a, it's, a loophole. it's an insult in some places. Yeah. You tip them. Yeah. Well, maybe because they make a decent money. They're not making like $3 an hour and like surviving on their tips. Do you ever um, send back food or no. complain about like the quality of the food when you're getting something at a restaurant? Or a- No, I'm not that particular. And I, I have it. I, I don't want to. You don't mess with the people who make your food. That's what I've heard. That like, they, nah. let's say you want something well done and it was brought out like, let's say medium. And they take it as insult if you send it back. Yeah. And I've heard friends, I've not actually never worked in a restaurant, so I, I can't speak to this as a firsthand account, but they just like press on the meat on the grill and then they're like, all right, it's done. They don't really care. Yeah, yeah, they get a little. If I got like just the totally wrong order, I'd be like, yeah, oh, but yeah, complaining about because nah, I'm worried about you know maybe not to the extent of pee in the tea, 
but maybe uh, a loogie. Mm-hmm. Spit if you're not mm-hmm. from. I remember this was like I was a teenager, probably 17. Me and my friends, there was this restaurant in Topeka. And, Do you want to uh, name it? Do you want to name it? No? Winstead's? I don't think they exist anymore. Okay. Winstead's, whatever. See if we get Sid. This is like 20 years ago. But so, like, we were all there and we ordered coffee and, you know, they bring you little glasses of water. There's a booger on the water jar. And it wasn't mine, it was my friend's. And he was like, uh, hey, like, he's like, hey, 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 look at this. Like, uh, that's not good. And whatever he said, you know, he wasn't. It's not good. But he was like, he was hair, he was horror. He was like, hey, uh, can I get a different glass of water? And so they went away and the waitress came back and I swear to God, it was the same. You could see a smear where the booger was. They had just taken the booger out. And so like, I remember we left. We we're just like, okay, that's not. And we never went back to Winstead ever again. But that was disgusting. That's pretty that was a, it's pretty gross. Just a smear. It's like, oh, you guys couldn't even uh, can you Can you take this off? Oh, yeah, I can, I can flick it off. Yeah. One bitch flicked it off or smeared it off. or Yeah. That's pretty gross. They obviously did. I mean, I, mean, I don't know. Looking back, I mean, a, a bunch of teenagers walking in, they probably knew or thought we wouldn't tip well, but still. You know what's funny is it's kind of like a huge trust exercise, like going to eat at a restaurant. Yeah. And what I think we don't realize is how many times we just eat gross stuff. Don't you think? Like, if you knew all the times you ate something that was just like, oh, that's gross. Don't really want to know. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes it's better not to know. Anyway. There's a reason why we're talking about this. We read Kitchen Confidential by Anthony Bourdain for April. And this is the Kitchen Confidential episode of There Will Be Books. I'm Peter, joined as always by Matt. Matt. I have heard about this book um, since I first encountered Mr. Anthony Bourdain on TV um, mm-hmm. in the early 2000s. He had a variety of TV shows, No Reservations, uh, which transitioned into a couple other kind of variations of the same thing. I was, I loved his TV shows. I kind of, I knew his backstory, but I never read any of his books. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this was, it was interesting. It was, it was reading an author I'd never read before, but yet I knew the voice almost immediately. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I, you, I could hear his voice in my head because you knew what it sounded like. Yeah. Like the literal, his The voice. literal Anthony, because on his TV show, it's, I, I don't know for sure, but I think he would write out sort of the voiceover aspects of that, of the, yeah. of the TV show. And so you would get sort of the rhythm and cadence of his style and his writing um, when he would talk about food or travel or culture or whatever. And so I found myself reading this book in his voice, like exclusively. Yeah, me too. Um, And so I thought it was, I don't know. It was, um, I really liked the book. I, I, I didn't think I was not going to like it, but I'm I'm glad I read it. Um, What were your first uh kind of impressions of the book or overall feelings towards it i'm with you i i really liked it i I knew i kind of knew i would like it yeah because i liked the guy i like his tv show and everything it seemed like 
he's one of the few I generally don't like cooking shows or travel shows, those reality type shows. He was the one exception. Yeah. Because it didn't seem like those types of shows. He was just an engaging, interesting person doing interesting things. So why do you think that is? Because I have a theory about kind of. I don't know. I think he was, was my thing. And it kind of ties into my thoughts on the book. But he was a, he has a writer's eye. He, mm-hmm. he's not, he's not a chef. He's not like a good writer for a chef. After reading the book, it's like, this guy's a writer. He's a good writer. He to be a chef. So he's got a writer's eye and the sensibility and the ability to empathize with people. And that came through in the show. And it definitely came through in the book. And so I liked the book. I, I didn't think I wasn't going to like it. I knew I would like it. I didn't know I would like it like this much. It's like a literary it's a very mm-hmm. good book. Yeah. It's, it's a, yeah. Um, yeah, he's sort of, uh, so to kind of overview the book, it's basically his life story in restaurants and growing up to learn how to become a chef. Um, and it is kind of a different aspects of the chef life and in, in his life. Um, yeah. But kind of, it kind of jumps around in time and kind of, I would say it's about the foods, about the characters of the business, about the business on the whole. It's just sort of a, an in-depth look of kind of a, a I don't know, like a, a job not everyone will ever like yeah. know about, but everyone will sort of encounter the chef at some, you know, everyone mm-hmm. goes out to eat and stuff like that. So it's sort of like a look uh, behind the curtain, if you will. Yeah. And that's kind of what it was, it's marketed as, you know, even to this day, you know, Kitchen Confidential, it's shocking. I think it was a bestseller because it kind of peeled the lid back. And, so, and and I guess the difference is those types of books can be entertaining, but they tend not to be the best written. I think this has got staying power and it launched the whole second half of his career because it is so well written. Yeah. You know, and, it, and a good writer can make almost anything interesting. And so he makes food and the restaurant business, the ups and downs, the personalities, all that stuff. He makes it just fascinating. I mean, he, I think the selling point for this book is sort of the debauchery and sort of like, oh, they're all on drugs or all that. But, and it has that element to it. But I think that what the book does really well is it, it shows like a human side to it. It's sort of like all flawed characters in this world. Um, and sort of the life of the chef, or if you work in a kitchen in like New York City or a big city, and it's you know high stress. I think it attracts a certain kind of person. It seems like from reading this mm-hmm. book, someone who's, you know, the the typical job isn't going to work for them or, or or whatnot. And so it brings together a, a kind of a, a unique person. Um, it brings together people from different cultures and sort of kind of different backgrounds, I guess. And then sort of, he talks about how there's sort of like unwritten rules about like what you do and don't do sort of as a chef. And sorry, he creates this like world in a way where it's, it's it's not a fantasy world, I guess, but it has its own like codes and rules and honors and like, you know, language. And I don't know, it just is, it feels like a complete immersion into this thing that I, you know, I don't really know anything about, but you kind of quickly, I don't know, get, get a feel for what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you kind of throw, he introduces you to it. 
dips your toes in the water and kind of coaxes you in and you know the journeys by the you know by journey's end you're you're with them you kind of get the the lingo you're he takes you right along he's, he's a yeah, just, it, he's, he's a, a story, writer he's a storyteller in yeah, exactly yeah you know, i think that's also why the book works is the stories and the sort of the antidotes and what's what he finds interesting how he writes about it is just you know kind of like how do you you know run a, a restaurant it kind of seems sort of boring but it, the way he does it it could be he made it, it could fast. be but i don't know while reading it i was just like exhausted from his workload did you yeah, like, like 14 hour days how much, how much work he like he does and then all these other kind of chefs do yeah. like it's just it felt yeah. i don't know i was just like oh god like <laughs> yeah i couldn't do that no yeah it's a uh, certain type of person i guess you'd have to love it yeah so I, people, I think it goes to show like how many restaurants fail it's just because how much work is needed and sort of yeah. maybe even luck i guess in the sense that was fascinating too he was just talking about he was like what there's a one in four chance or even less yeah. like most restaurants fail and the reasons why were interesting and the margins you know, between you, like success and like failure yeah. it's just such a like a slim like so much stuff can go wrong like yeah. the freezer breaks down on a bad week where you're already behind you've sunk so much money into it people just don't want to come just all this stuff I, there's tons of restaurants around town that i really like you know and they shut down you're like oh i wonder why it's like eh. yeah yeah they open you know what i liked also too is he kind of sets up for most of the book like here's the you know here's the true story of a restaurant and then he goes to like some other like uh chef's restaurant who he like respects and likes and respects their food and it's completely different like it's it's like quiet or not quiet but like it's it's he kind of goes through he's like oh you know that thing where i described like this is the way you know it is well it turns out at this person's restaurant it's not like that yeah there's general rules but there's always exceptions he's kind of willing to be like you know this is my take but he's he's sort of shows a vulnerable side to himself where he's like, you know what? I might just be, yeah, this is, this is what I can do, but there's levels of, you know, cooking and, and stuff like that above me. Um, so he's, he's not afraid to be like, I don't know. Or he doesn't claim to know everything, I guess, which is mm-hmm. a, a good selling point for, uh, you know, kind of, kind of like a memoir, I guess, in a way you get some backstory about his life and, and stuff. So. Well, it's part of the, part of his personality that made him appealing uh what self-deprecation kind of humor yeah willingness to admit like yeah yeah it's a it's a a funny book Mm -hmm. it's um i don't know it's it's do you think you would have reacted the same way if you had read this book say when it came out 20 years ago and you hadn't seen this tv show hadn't seen all this stuff that he's done do you do you think that would be different or do you think you would still have liked it as much? I think I would have liked it. Yeah. yeah. It would have turned me on to his TV or whatever. But yeah, I would have I would have liked it. I would have appreciated. I think I have more life experience now. I'd probably appreciate I appreciate more of the lessons or the hard knock stuff a little more now. But yeah, I, I the 20-year-old me would have enjoyed it just as yeah. much. Uh what were your kind of like favorite aspects of the book or kind of stories or that's wesley by the way 
our podcast producer giving his two cents. He's probably, probably a squirrel. Probably sees a rabbit out there. Squirrel. Probably can't Damn. eat squirrel. Can't eat squirrel in a restaurant. He well, he's never caught a squirrel. Has he, he got close? He's all talk. No. He's all talk. No. So what were any favorite stories well, or, or so what kind of jumps out at me at first, what I really liked were the kind of ways you described the management of the kitchen, the kind of politics. He came yeah. at it like a general or like a spy master, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, Varys, the spider, Game yeah. of Thrones or whatever. He, yeah. he, he, he approached it intentionally, you know, like different sources of information. You always want to kind of know what the wait staff's thinking, get in good with the bartender, like all this stuff that a competent chef will know all the irons in the fire. I've always, I always kind of like that stuff. I'm a bit of a political dork too. So his approach to managing the kitchen and he calls it like intelligence gathering. Yeah. That was fascinating to me. I also like that you had to have a guy who like knew how to fix everything. This like, and his sous chef is also the, uh, the other thing I liked a competent right-hand man. It to, seemed like, yeah, like, there's a lot of like, there's some incompetent people, you know, in the story, but the, 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 the people who are like very competent are like so highly, you know, thought of, like they can mm-hmm. fix X, Y, and Z. And you're like, how do you, you even like, it's only, it's almost like you have to become, you know, you have to work in this industry for 20 years to like learn how to do all this kind of stuff. There's no, you know, he goes to the, the cooking school or whatever, but that's almost like a, that's a very surface level, like basic thing. And like, if you have no work experience, but you have this degree, I don't think it really matters all that much. I would think. Yeah. There's, well, you know, it, it's practical stuff like your freezer, the cooling mechanism and your freezer breaks. Yeah. And you're going to lose all this meat unless you can fix it. Or you're in the middle of like a Saturday rush and you run out of tomatoes and you run an Italian place. Like you, you got You, you need to have somebody who can get you tomatoes within the hour. You got to have somebody who can fix the fridge now not wait you know like all yeah. this stuff that could come up you got disgruntled can handle disgruntled staff you can turn around and it, it, all the and kind he of, makes it really really interesting like just yeah you kind of said something uh, i hadn't thought of like the politics of it because it is kind of like mm-hmm. politics because you have like yep. you, know, you have um suppliers that you have to juggle and handle and you have to like either you know if they screw you over you have to get rid of them and you have to you know figure out a way to you know, you, you kind of have to work with other restaurants, it sounds like occasionally, if you want to get, you know, favors for, you know, you run out of something. So I think there is kind of a political aspect in it, in well, a way. Getting in good with the bartender, because yeah. he hears everything people are talking about. He can kind of, if you're nice to him and friendly with him, then he'll turn around and let you know who among the wait staff is upset. Uh, what the runners who bring out the food, yeah. like they're like your, your bishops in chess or something you know like you you want them on your side and they'll be able to kind of gauge what the customers are are thinking who's upset who's impatient for their food there's a lot going on yeah and and maybe it's just a function of him being just a really good writer but it uh yeah it was all very interesting the way he broke it down yeah and it's also um like the recruitment of people when you're starting a new restaurant and all that kind yeah. of stuff i was like more than a couple times, I was like, how do people even start restaurants? Like, how do, like, when I order food, how does it even get to me? Like, in a, in a way, like, if I'm at a table with, like, a couple other people and we all order something different, like, it's kind of amazing to me that we actually, 
it works sort of as smooth as it does. Yeah. Because then when he, 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 you know, he takes you in depth into like the world behind, you know, once your order gets in the kitchen stuff. And it seems like it can, can, can get screwed up very quickly, like yeah. and horribly wrong. And it sometimes does, but I would think it would happen like way more. Like, well, yeah. Well, I was thinking, yeah, I don't I know. Mean, timing the order, the food to come all at once. You go out with more than three people, like, you it's, know, party of four. You know, you gotta, you all order different things. You gotta make, not only do you have to cook the stuff right, you gotta make sure the steak comes with the chicken, comes with the burger, it's all warm and palatable. And it, it all comes at the same time. And managing that on a busy night when there's a couple hundred people. Yeah, it's, doing that for every table all night. He's working at restaurants that are fancier than anything we have in our, you know, small little town or whatever. So it yeah, might, yeah. might be a little different with like the um, how I don't know. Well, the principles yeah. the same, even yeah. like after. No, it's, yeah, it's true. But you know, but there is like you worked in a warehouse. I've worked in a warehouse. Like inventory management and workflow. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's like the biggest thing if you want to become a chef is like how to like organize your kitchen. I don't know. Yeah. Sort of yeah. among other things. It, well, star it starts with being organized and then being good with people and then being and you kind of think back to your own work experience. Like I haven't really I worked fast food when I was 15. I was a fry guy at a fast food place. You were? Yeah. Yeah. So let's back I, up. Okay. So you're Let's no, I want to get best story I have from those days was um so I, I was at the, the fry was at the fry station. So you're you have a thing of french oil fries. in a basket that you dip french fries. I'm in charge like four to six, you know, two, yeah, like about four little baskets, two big old vats of grease, and just frozen french fries go in them. You drop them in there for a certain amount of time. You take them out. You set them at an angle to drain. And when they're drained properly, you throw them into a thing. And then other people come and take them and blah, blah, blah. End of the night, uh, you got to drain the vats of grease, right, into this big old vacuum thing. And then once the, the vat is drained, you take the hose. Yeah. The, the, the thing you drain it into has a hose attached. And you turn around and spray the grease into the vat to get all the chunks of fries and onion ring batter and stuff down. Like it's just part of the closing process. Yeah, right? yeah. I'm doing that one night, just hosing it down, cleaning it off. And then it kind of starts to smoke like it's water instead of grease. And I'm like, what? what's going on? I keep spraying and flames erupt from the, from the, the thing. And I'm like, ah, I yell for the man, like Mike, and get it. And like the manager comes and he sees it. He's super calm. He's just like, ah, and he like goes and looks down and it turns out before you spray the thing with grease, you got to turn the pipes off. If you don't do that, you'll start a fire. I had forgotten to, uh, yeah, to turn it off. So do, do you recycle the grease or does it? Just no, no, no. It's just, you hose it down with grease. Okay. Just to, so the fire department came, the, the owner, they woke him up and got him. It's like 11 at night. They woke him up. So you started a grease fire basically. It was the fire guy. Yeah. I had the presence of mind. The, the first guy to respond was another like employee. And he was like, pour water on it. And I was like, no, 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 no. I knew better than to pour water on grease fire. But what does that start, do? I did start the fire. You didn't, you don't know. You, it makes it worse. You don't put water on a grease fire. Okay. Just, uh, I would. Yeah. I saw that guy like three years later. I was 18. And uh, he's like, hey, fire guy. Hey, I'm going to burn my. And he turned to his like, 
it was at a golf course. And so he turned to his buddies. He's like, this guy almost burned my restaurant down. <laughs> Good humoredly, but it's like, yeah, I guess that would be the, if you're going to remember me, that How would be. How long did you work there after the fire? Oh, I mean, they didn't, they didn't fire me or anything. It was, it you know, it was a teenage job. I'm, yeah. I worked there for like a summer or something, but yeah. So, so did, you, did any of this book remind you of those days? No, because it wasn't that. The, the fire says like yeah, I did start a fire at uh, the pad restaurant in Topeka pad it's, uh, it's called pad. The pad but it's got a launch pad uh, the it's a picture oh. of a rocket okay the pad the launch what guys, where were you guys serving there these burgers decent burgers burgers and fries I never really for like a good 10 to 20 years after that I, I didn't eat french fries so sick really I didn't like them so like hamburgers but I'd pass on the French fries if I was ordering food. You just deal with just that all day. Just from the job. Huh? Just from the job? Yeah. Yeah. I just get sick of them. You get tired of dealing with them. You see all the grease and you, 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 you spray enough crusty French fries from the vat with grease at the end of the night. And that little vacuum suction thing, you, you got to scrape out all the gross, crusty French fry residue. Like that's part of the closing process too. So you got to do that. They just become really unappealing for a good long, I'll have them now, but for a good long while there, I was just like, nope, just a burger. If it comes with fries, same price. Like, nope, no thanks. I'm good. Oh, wow. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's good first job. Good first job. Started fire. Anyway. Uh, Kitchen Confidential does talk about sort of like, um, Kind of in the beginning, there's like a there's like a chef that has like these like, um, like his hands are like worn to, I don't know, they're like yeah, chef. yeah. I don't know, and he, he, that's kind of what he aspired to, I guess, and sort of the nicks and the cuts, it sort of seemed like too that like chefs bled a lot into their food. Did yeah, it's one of the things you don't really want to think about. Yeah, did you get that sense that like mm-hmm. they don't blisters. Gross. They don't really care about that. Like they do care, but they don't care. I mean, what are you gonna do? I mean, at a certain point, I think it's just practical. Like, you're, you're if you're man in a hot cooking station, you're gonna get blisters and those things yeah. pop over your food and the blood, and it's kind of just like I. That's not kind of think didn't about. think when I read that part. I was like, ah, I'm just gonna ignore that. I'm just, yeah, yeah that's just a New York thing. Don't but, dwell. Jordan yeah, doesn't really dwell on it. He describes the hands as a way to describe like the rough work. Mm-hmm. but uh yeah you read between the lines you're like oh gross. yeah you, yeah that's what i did i was like it sort of sounds like there's blood in my food yeah you hope they cook it off yeah. <laughs> the heat just boils the, the mm-hmm. okay, anyway yeah uh let's see here um what else what else caught your mind or anything I else liked some of the rules like the the things he looks for going into a restaurant I like that. Um, I thought it interesting. And I feel it, like I'd heard that before too. Like the I think it was through yeah, yeah. I think some of the stuff round its way to like I'd heard of, like how much butter is and stuff. There's a clip I was doing research. Yeah. For this episode, which was kind of just me watching old Anthony Bourdain TV shows. It was fun. But yeah. uh so there's a clip of him on Oprah and he was talking about uh like from 20 like when it first came out he looks all young and stuff and and he was talking about how much butter is in stuff 
and Oprah is like pushing. He's like, so how much like like quarter of a stick of butter? And, and he's like, oh, I mean, if you order something cooked in a skillet, uh, I would say eh, a stick, stick and a half <laughs> in every dish. And they pan to Oprah's audience and they're all horrified, a bunch of horrified middle-aged women. Like, oh, it's like, mm. and he was like, yeah, I mean, that's why restaurant food tastes better than uh, home-cooked food because yeah. we use just a ton of butter. So like that type of thing was, uh, what else? Like he's a check the bathroom first, if you're curious. About I've heard that too. So they don't bother to clean the bathroom, the stuff they know is visible. What do you think their kitchen's like? Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, what else? Oh, if you order well done steaks, don't expect to get a good, a good cut of meat because they figure it's wasted on well done. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No. I've heard I that too. Like, steak you know, don't. I, I uh, this is gonna sound amateur, but I prefer steak well done. But now I've learned. It doesn't surprise me. It's bacteria, man, bacteria. Um, yeah, I, he has like all these rules and like the seafood things and yeah. Which growing up in Topeka and being in Colorado now, there's not. I don't eat a ton of seafood. Yeah, not being coastal, but that, I've found that interesting. Some of I would say like river. Or stream fish might be different. I mean, see, yeah, seafood places exist. But. Versus, no, and but like, uh, you know, tuna versus uh, trout, I guess. Yeah. One's, what did he say? He said never, he never, he never orders it on a Monday. Yeah, something like that's, that's going to be like the worst stuff and they need to get rid well, of it or is it, yeah. Because they, because the order is like the order process. So they order a bunch to deal with like the weekend rush because that's when, they want to be well stocked and so by monday they're trying to get rid of all that stuff so you'll see a lot of seafood specials on monday and his tip was don't yeah it's on sale but it's because they're trying to unload the stuff they ordered thursday yeah well and that's for you know you got to be enough of a seafood aficionado to, to be able to taste really fresh stuff and know the difference but that, that was interesting just the, the mechanic the, the little details like that were fascinating to me you know um, another thing I got from this book, and it sort of shows up in his, his TV work and where he became kind of like this beloved figure who, when he passed in, in 2018, everyone kind of wrote these, you know, heartfelt praising articles about him is he seems to like care a lot about people that he works with mm -hmm. in different cultures mm -hmm. and sort of the value of having, you know, one of his rules is you want to become a chef, learn Spanish. Like, yeah, you're you're really with, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. Ecuadorian uh line prep chefs and all sorts of things so you you need to like broaden your kind of viewpoint and, and adapt so and i got that sense that he had this even when he wrote this book before like all the tv shows he had this eye towards and at one point he goes to tokyo and you can kind of get the sense like from that chapter about tokyo and how his travels and how fascinated he was with like this foreign culture that it's not surprising that he he had this like massive um career in television like exploring other cultures and eating their food and sort of thinking about them and it, it in a interesting way and in, in part because he's just a really really good writer i guess so yeah well and it's what made him stand out in you know the sea of just mediocre trash that is like reality type tv he's an interesting person who's genuinely interested in other people and other culture and that came through like you didn't go to like look down on you know oh what a bunch of weird food 
he he ate weird stuff but he was generally just he went to a different place and like he made a sing i just watched an episode where it's singapore and he made that stuff so fascinating and so good he's generally looking for like okay what's the he goes to like his formula for the tv was generally kind of okay what's the best notable like what's the best french food what's the best thai food i can get here and he'd go and mingle with the chef and eat something really fancy then he'd go out and like go eat with his cab drivers like okay where do what's really good cheap food and then he'd go off to some countryside and eat you know a home-cooked meal and that's kind of generally the formula that give you the lay of the land what are your best options in these three or four areas he could do, he could do, he, he appreciated street food just as much as he appreciated like the Michelin star yeah. food. And so I think that's where he gets like the credibility with, with, you know, watchers and readers. It's like, he's not putting one ahead of the other. He's just, yeah. if it's good, it's good. He appreciates food in general. And that, and then he also appreciates, you know, the hard work that a chef does and getting all this like, you know, the accolades that they can get, but also like the simplicity and the hard work that goes into, I remember, um, I think it was a, a no reservation episode where he like, he went to see someone who was making like noodles, like in a very traditional way in like Japan yeah. and just like how early that person had to wake up and just the dedication and craft. Cause I think yeah. that's another important thing, like the craft and how to do something and then cooking and all this stuff is like the craft and like even how to like prep food is is in a way a craft so he was interested in that and that kind of shows up in the book and also the tv show so that's you know what i just thought of kind of what's interesting about that and we've talked about it before is uh with writers and movie directors living a life outside of the industry giving you more to say i wonder how much of that with bourdain went into him producing compelling shows like that because he he did li- he, he lived a totally separate life before he wrote a book and wait you know for like 30 years before he was on tv he actually had something to say he wasn't just an actor from the age of 10 yeah or you know some guy out of college like a you know kind of sleazy producer type he he had lived a, a full life well, in the trenches i think he'd lived a full life too and he, he met a lot of different kinds of people so mm-hmm. any sort of book and he i didn't realize this he'd written two fiction books before he wrote this yeah and it kind of it kind of makes sense too like he had book structure is not his first book it came across it was more yeah it's more polished um but it, i don't know it, it it seems like someone who had, I don't know, he wasn't set in his ways just because he had, had met different people, I guess, and different, um, yeah. I mean, in the book, he changes jobs, it seems like every, oh yeah, all yeah. the time until he finally gets to the, like the famous restaurant, La Halle, I think is the French, yeah. I don't know, but that's like the one he's sort of most known for. But before he gets there, he's just changing jobs and it seems like his life is, just constantly in not i wouldn't say turmoil but like flux flux unrest like if a normal person had this much like changeover in their life i think it would it would Mm -hmm. kind of wreck a person but he seems to be able to handle it in some cases thrive and, and adapt and change which you know convert like you know shows up in the tv show that he can go to all these different places and sort of 
I guess, fit in is a yeah. way of thinking of it. I don't know. Yeah. And that all seems part of it too. It's part of the game. It's, it, it's kind of funny that you mentioned like, this is a book about himself, but he's lived such like an interesting life that that's okay. Cause sometimes, you know, when we talk about like auto fiction and it's like mm-hmm. boring, like, why are you telling this? This isn't like at all interesting. It's not, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, it's, it's the difference between you can have yourself as the main or the main character or like the through line through the plot, but what a good writer will do is use that as a way you can, you know, you're, you're the main character and we're following your journey, but along the way you describe other people you describe the industry, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that made this hit is it's an industry that we've all, you haven't worked, even if you haven't worked in it, you've all, you've eaten out, you've been in a yeah. restaurant. And so there's a natural fascination and you just need a good tour guide. And since he's not self-absorbed, he's not a narcissist. Yeah. He's, you know, I think that's, that's point it, because he, he's yeah. often interested in the story of his, the people around him. Or telling the story of other people around him, even, even if he doesn't like them and he has to change their name or if mm-hmm. unsavory characters. He doesn't he doesn't seem to be passing a lot of judgment, I guess, in the book, which I think a lot of writers fall prey to that that we as the reader need the, the author to say, is this person good or bad? That might and that might be a relatively recent thing. Yeah. Like I know which I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Like kind of contemporary lit fic that there's a really they have to pass judgment instead of just, it's just like yeah, anybody's gonna have warts and bad spots and, and yeah not, and, and you can not like them and that's fine, but I just hate this idea that everybody you know that has to be so clear cut because I, I bet writers. there's people who don't like it didn't like Anthony Bourdain when he was, you know if they had to work oh, for him yeah. or work with him. I mean, I might've, the, the teenage me would have bristled at him as a boss. Yeah. The, he might've been right. Prickly and, you know, but I, I, I get the sense that that may, may have occurred, but like the next day you might've interacted differently with him. And it might yeah, have been he seems like a decent dude, but I know what you mean with the, with the authors kind of being expected to hold your hand through it. You can't mm-hmm. just tell a story or just describe an incident. It's they got to hold your hand and make sure you know this is morally is morally right or wrong or yeah that's a trend that that needs to I, yeah because I I got the sense that you know the kitchen world and, you know there's a lot of elements to it that are you know <laughs> aren't like sellable I guess like I don't know all yeah. the the language and maybe like the sexism sexism and stuff like that but. He kind of points out, he's like, hey, if you can fit in this thing, we're all different, different cultures. It's kind of like ball busting or whatnot. Uh, mm. If it doesn't go too far, then, you know, whatever. So yeah, it's just part of the atmosphere and the camaraderie comes yeah. out from razzing and hazing and all that. Yeah. But yeah, I, I thought it was a reading it now. I was like, could this book, it would have been edited differently or it came out within the last few years maybe yeah which is good timing it's a shame because i think yeah. as it is it's there's some unsavory characters but i don't know that's it, it kind of it's interesting it presents and, a, a fuller picture if it's not just so clear cut and there's yeah. bad people and good people or whatever I don't know. I'm with you there. and bourdain kind of has a fascination with the the unseemly side of it 
kind of like the punk rock aspect of yeah especially because he's it starts out in his first job as a dishwasher in the 70s in the 70s in provincetown massachusetts yeah. and he's kind of attracted to like the swashbuckling uh nature mm-hmm. kitchen staff where he worked at and he's like oh i want to do that and some of that is just him. like other people would see that and not romanticize it at all but it another reason why it's so good and i think he's always he he's a writer who happened to be a chef because he kind of like it's just what grabbed him he's able to describe what seized the moment that like food became his passion and was like oh i want to be a chef despite all the crap you got to put up with this is what i want to do yeah it yeah how many annoying knockoffs do you think he inspired like unintentionally to like be oh, going to the, to the chef world and just be like oh, i'm gonna do it though I wonder if a lot of people. I wonder if he hated those. I, I would think he would kind of like look. Well, no. I bet they didn't last very long. Yeah. If you know what I mean? Too. They're like, oh, I don't actually want to do this. You know? That's a, that's a fair point. You know what I mean? Like, those people that go two weeks. Like a, a, a Bourdain kind of cosplay probably didn't last very long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A week or two. Like I couldn't do it. No. None of this seemed appealing to me. No. As a job. Like I, I appreciated and respected the hell out of everybody in this, but I was like, I would not want to do any of this. Mm-mm. You know, it was just like, I, this doesn't sound at all. Yeah. You know, I actually swore off food, the food industry after the pad. Seriously. It was like, okay, I'm done. Whatever it is. It's no food. Yeah. I never worked in it, but I knew people who were like, I don't want to ever go back to it. It's, yeah. It's I'm not, done. It's yeah. not my thing. So anyway. Uh, any other thoughts about yeah, Ordain or the book or your yeah. experiences? I liked a couple of his little anecdotes. The uh, when he talked about in Provincetown at the seafood place he worked at, like the, the parties the cooks and the chefs and the wait staff would have on the beach, uh, they'd what, dig pits and then put fire below them and then put all the like clams, shrimp all the seafood in a trash can and just let it like yeah. cook forever and that was like a big communal thing i made a note in the book like exclamation point exclamation point exclamation point <laughs> do this with chili in the mountains so he did i i don't know, make a big old pot of chili in trash can and then cook it in the in the mountains i did reading him and watching his shows it does make me want to be like i want to take food more seriously Mm-hmm. I don't want to work in food, but I want to like. Does that? I don't know if that's just shallow or whatever. I just want to be like. I want to learn how to make some stuff, and I, don't know. No, I was I was like that too. Like uh, especially watching the show, it's like I want to appreciate different foods. So yeah, when I, I always... take out. I was like, oh, yes, I pretended I was Anthony Bourdain. <laughs> <laughs> General Tao's chicken, mm, interesting. Mm, interesting. Y'all cultured. <laughs> no but i yeah i never i didn't want to work in a restaurant but whenever i would watch the shows and reading the book i was like i want to appreciate things more i want to mm-hmm. make something that's i don't know yeah he's talking about like all the pans and stuff i'm like do i need to get all this stuff and i don't know i was like oh, i need sharper knives <laughs> i need sharper knives yeah yeah you know it's kind of for me because in one of my kind of half-hearted uh, and often futile attempts to be kind of he- relatively healthy. I was doing this thing where I stop eating at like four or five, you know, to mm-hmm. give yourself 12 hours 
uh, of not eating. It's called intermittent fasting, but I refuse to call it that because it's just, it's just, you know, it sort of sounds like it, it, but but in theory, you know, you give your body 12, 14 hours to, to recoup. And what does that do? What is the, the... well, it it actually works. I sleep a lot better and you wake up and you don't wake up hungry. Like you'll wake up and have coffee and I'm good for another couple hours. It's just giving your body a rest. You're in theory, your cells regenerate and all your microbiota, like, it's all this nerdy stuff. Your microbiota, like the 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 biome, mm-hmm. uh, that to a large extent kind of controls your metabolism and everything. Those are like living creatures too, and so they need time to rest. So this is this whole big long thing. Yeah. Long story short, I'm doing it, but while I'm reading this book, my reading times are in the evening when the baby's asleep. Mm. So I'm really hung. I'm reading this book and I'm really, really hungry. <laughs> Because there's a there's a period you got to get through. You stop eating, and it gets to be eight or nine. You haven't eaten for six hours. You're like, oh, I'm pretty hungry. hungry. So you have to get through that 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 feeling of hunger. Yeah, he's describing all this French food. It's like, there's a it's interesting. Okay, I'll take note of that. Yeah, yeah. That's I don't do that. I don't do that intermittent fasting. Drinking well, coffee right I now. do. I do every couple of weeks. I change a thing. I'm uh, like most kind of portly people. I'm fascinated by like different health food things. I never really. But you don't want to use the title of it, though. You don't want to use the uh, exactly. Well, because I think fasting. I think I'm too good for the trends, but I still want to try them. And then deep down, I know I'm not going to stick with it. So I just jump from thing to thing, and it's a whole thing. It's fun. You're just like, I forget to eat for 12 hours a day. I got to make, got to make an effort. (laughs) But it was interesting reading about food, being really hungry. That it's difficult. Never go, never go grocery shopping hungry. Builds character or do just wind up with a bunch of junk. It's true. I liked the anecdote about when he's applying for that steakhouse run by the Scottish guy. Oh, that was hilarious. It's it's going really good. And at the very end, the Scottish guy leans in and says, like, what do you know about meat? Yeah. And Bourdain's like, uh, I don't know anything. He's like, what do you know about me? And he's like, I don't know. What does this guy want to hear? Is he yeah. actually, like, should I flatter him? Should, is, is yeah. this? He describes it so like perfectly, like when you're in a interview and you're like, what's the answer I should I look at? What does he want? I don't know anything about this guy, but is he, should I flatter him? Is this a trick to see if I'm going to flatter him? Or not. So he, he says he kind of leans. He's like, you know what? I'm just going to risk it. And he still, he goes next to nothing with a big smile on his face. And he like, that's the point where the interview turned and he thought he had the job, but yeah. they kind of like ushered him out. It's like, oh, we'll let you know we got interviews. He's like, oh, I blew it. Why did I blow it? Was it? And he's walking down the street five minutes later and he realizes the guy in a Scottish brogue who runs a steakhouse asked him, what do you know about meat? And he had put a big old grin on his face and said, next to nothing. (laughs) I literally laughed when I saw that. That was a great story. That was like, oh, man. I identified with that. Like, not that exactly, but it's like, oh, yeah, I've misunderstood a situation. And ten minutes later, you're like, oh, no. That's how it was seen by everybody else, and I missed it. That was hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. So. I think so. It sounds like we're both in agreement. Kitchen Confidential gets high recommends from both of us. Yeah. If you've yeah. just only seen his TV work and all that stuff, and you're a huge fan of 
of uh, the TV shows that he did. Definitely read this book. Um, there are also, I think there's another book he writ, uh, wrote kind of about like touring the world. I think I have that. And then he also has some like fiction work, but this is sort of like the central book that kind of yeah. made him famous. about his fiction, actually. Yeah. I kind of want to seek that out and read his first one just to see what it was like. To see if that voice is in his fiction. Yeah. It's definitely there in in Kitchen Confidentials. We talked about a little last time, like people's unfinished books, or would you want to go back and read a really good author's like first book that never got published? I'd I'd like to go see, having read this and knowing about the guy's career, I'm curious about his first book. Makes me want to go and rewatch his TV shows too, because he was just so damn good at at that. I don't know. Sad he's gone, but yeah, there's still uh, a lot of stuff that uh, we can appreciate, and this book is definitely up there. So even if you're not interested in you know cooking or food or I don't you know whatever, that's um, there's a lot to to like and learn from this book. So yeah, definitely give it a chance. Uh, we will be having. Let's see, you're coming up. Uh, Matt and I are going to be delving into the world of dune coming up as our seasonal read it's our winter seasonal read uh you may be asking yourself it's may guess what the seasons don't exist yeah don't worry about it on our planet uh so we'll be talking about that here shortly uh the classic frank herbert book dune um what else do we have coming up matt we're gonna be picking a new long book to read yes um and we're gonna be doing some patreon stuff coming up yep I think we're going to watch David Lynch's version of Dune. Which, yeah, and reading Dune, I don't think it's an unfilmable movie. I'm curious about this new one. David Lynch's Dune is, I haven't seen it. It's generally seen to be just a huge flop by a talented director, but just like, so I'm curious. So we're going to do that. And I got some ideas. I think we're going to do... Um, like a reader poll, mm-hmm. you know, figure out a, a Patreon book of the month. Um, some other stuff. We're gonna we're gonna stock up the Patreon store. For and then uh, you can also get in contact with us, email, um, uh, Instagram, Twitter, all those ways. Let us know what you're reading. Let us know uh, if you've read Kitchen Confidential, what you th- what you thought of it. Uh, and with Dune, Dune coming up, I know a lot of people. Uh, that's one of their kind of favorite sci-fi book so let us know uh your thoughts on that book if we should continue the series um yeah because there's i think what six books there's a lot. Yeah. yeah so there's there's quite a few more books so be on the lookout for that uh and until then we will talk to you soon <laughs>